You got it? Everybody good? I gave this to you. Listen to me. Up here now. All right. I gave this to you because that's how many passages we're going to quickly, literally sprint through together. So I wanted you to be able to find those without having to uh, flip pages and, you know, scroll through apps and stuff. And I really wanted you to, like, zone in for me because this matters. Okay? So as a quick reminder, for the past... Uh, two weeks. This is now our third week. We've been doing a series that followed up on um, a survey I gave you guys. And some of you were here for your survey and some of you were not. And that's, that's cool. But um, so we're basing some of our responses to our survey. Uh, there are, those responses are coming into what we're talking about. So um, the first week we talked about atheism. We talked about how it's very hard to completely disprove something. We talked about the trouble with that. Last week, we talked about universalism, the idea that um, all religions are just different pathways to the same God. If you're clicking your pen, quit. There's like a chorus of you. It's freaking me out. I'm sorry. Thank you. You're so cute. Every one of you is so funny. I will take your pens. You'll never get handouts again. I'm not kidding. Quit. Hippies, quit. I can wait. Or know what teachers say when they're mad? I can wait. I can. I can keep you here all night. All right, anyway. You ready? So last week we talked about universalism. How all these pathways, all these, there's, people think that there's uh, different religions or just different pathways to the same God. It really doesn't matter which one you pick. They're all just kind of okay. And we talked about how Jesus claimed to be the way and the truth and the life. And, and that basically sets Christianity apart where, where either you have to accept that Jesus is the way, and the truth, and the life or reject that. You can't just say that Christianity is a, was one of other paths. It's just not possible. Either it's right or it's wrong. All right. And tonight we're addressing something called moralism. Moralism is a tough one. And it's a big deal because 25% of you in the room, one out of four of you in here, and that's that when we did the survey, answered in ways that led me to believe that you're probably in this camp, that you probably believe the moralistic position, which is a problem because students, it is not a biblical position. Here's what moralists believe. Basically, it's just the commonly held belief that you guys hear in, in, uh, in songs and Miley Cyrus and Jay-Z are singing about it. I mean, it's just, it's just the common idea that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And it's just as simple as that. That if, if you do enough good things, you go to heaven. But if you do enough bad things that outweigh the good things, then you just go to hell. And at the, end of, at the end of your days, you're going to stand before God, and only God can judge us, right? And you're going to stand before God, and, and he's going to judge you. And, and there's, it's kind of like there's this huge scale or something, right? It's the idea that there's this huge scale, and God is going to put the totality of your life on that scale. And the good stuff's going to go on this side, and the bad stuff's going to go on this side, and God's going to let it go and, and see how it balances, and if the good outweighs the bad, then you get to walk into heaven. But if the bad outweighs the good, you don't. That's the way a lot of people live their lives. Where they have a loose kind of affiliation with the church and may even claim to be Christians. But believe that about their eternity. That they've never really grasped the concept of who Jesus is and really why he came here and, and why that position is just so completely wrong. 
So listen to me, if you were in the 25% or if you're in here tonight and you didn't take the survey and you're thinking, that's basically it, right? Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. I need you to hear that, dude, I am concerned about your eternal salvation if that's what you believe. Because that is not the picture the Bible paints of our salvation. That is not the way that, that's not how I explain my faith even close. So dude, if that's, if that's where you land right now, I'm concerned about whether or not you're a Christian. I'm concerned about whether you have a relationship with Jesus and you've placed your faith in him. Because if you believe that, I'm pretty sure you haven't. Which makes me concerned for 25% of the room with the deepest, deepest, most fearful concern I could possibly have. That's why there's a handout. Because I want you to get this and get it right. Cool? So we're going to dive in because we've got a long way to go. All right, so the, the beginning of your, uh, your handout, it says a biblical picture of your righteousness. What we're going to do is we're going to basically have two opposing viewpoints where you're going to rely on, listen to me, you're going to rely on your righteousness for salvation or you're going to rely on God's righteousness for salvation. Your righteousness or God's. You have to pick. You either rely on God's righteousness or your righteousness. You can't do both. You can't just float in between. You have to pick. Are you going to rely on yours or God's? So we're going to look at a biblical picture of your righteousness. All right, first. First thing I want you to fill in the blank there. It says there is no scale. There is either righteousness or not righteousness. There is no scale. That scale in the clouds that you stand in front of God and he's got, that doesn't exist. There's no scale in all of scripture. That's not real. There's either righteousness or not righteousness. It's just that simple. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that says is that every single one of you students, I know you're writing, I know there's a lot of things going on. Please pay attention. For all of Romans 3.23, right there in your sheet, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Basically what that's saying is, is simply that every single one of us has fallen short of a standard. I think a better way to think about this instead of a scale is a toggle switch. You know what toggle switches, airplanes have them, they look real cool. I wish my car had toggle switches instead of like knobs and stuff. It's like the big silver thing that, it's only got two positions, right? It's like a cooler light switch. Boom, boom. It's either on or it's off. Righteousness, not righteousness. There's no middle ground. The switch doesn't like stay in the middle somewhere. You're either deemed righteous before God or not righteous. There's no scale. There's no, there's no like in between kind of zone for this. There's, so Romans 3.23, every single one of us has fallen short of the standard that God has set. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Your switch, student, at one time or another, if you're a Christian in the room before you became a Christian, if you're not a Christian yet or you're trying to figure it out, your switch was set on not righteous. There's no scale. God's not weighing anything. Your switch was set firmly all the way over on the not righteous side. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where I sat. That's where some of you still sit. Not righteous. Next, it says, and you're on your own. You're not righteous. Apart from Christ, you're on your own. You're not righteous. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this. As it's written, no one is righteous. No, not one. 
No one understands. No one really seeks God. Everybody's turned aside. Together, they've all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's the idea that, man, that, that while there is some stuff that, that apart from Christ, that we try, that people try to be good people and do good things, there's a whole side of us that's completely turned away from God and is not following after him. It's, we're following after whatever we want to do. That's who I was before I became a Christian. I was, I was one who had turned aside from God. But there was no, there was nothing in me that was trying to, that was just chasing after him. I was following my own direction and my own thing. If that's where you are, that's called sin. And what this passage is telling us, man, is that, is that there's no middle ground here. No one is righteous on their own. Not one. There's not a single person that's walked the face of the earth who on their own, apart from God, has succeeded in making themselves righteous. It goes on. It says no one can follow the rules well enough. No one can follow the rules well enough. Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That means God's sight. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Listen, you cannot follow the rules well enough to justify yourself before God. But we try, don't we? We try to do good things. And I mean, I've I've had so many students I've come in contact with who believed this scale sort of thing. And they work so hard because they're so afraid that the scale is going to tip the wrong way. So they work so hard to do the right things and follow the rules and and do whatever they think is going to please God to tip the scale the right way so they can have a little bit of security. And what this passage says is that you don't have any security. You're never going to do enough good things to tip that scale back up. Because there's no scale. Righteous, not righteous. Romans 3.20 just says, man, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to do enough good things to be justified in God's sight. If you're not a Christian in the room, or if, man, if, you, if you're trying to figure it out and you're, if you're on board this moralistic perspective, that's a terrifying thought that you're never going to be able to do enough to be right in God's sight. And dude, if that's you and you're you're listening to me tonight and you're like, what then? Like, what am I supposed to do? If I'm doing everything I can and God's not gonna honor that, how is that fair? Keep going. The next one says, by trying to earn salvation, we make Christ's death worthless. By trying to earn salvation, we make Christ's death worthless. Galatians 2.21, I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness, that's if, if, if your goodness, if your integrity, if whatever, if, if, you're, if you were able to be good enough, if righteousness were through the law, that's through doing all the right things, then Christ died for no purpose. So listen to me, if you're working your tail off to do all the right things and follow the rules well enough to be justified in God's sight, to make him be okay with you and your imaginary scale to tip the right direction, while you're doing that, you're saying that Christ died for nothing. Because Christ died to provide another kind of righteousness. He died to provide his righteousness. And when we ignore Christ's death on the cross and we try, to, we try to make our own way and be good enough on our own, what we're saying is, I don't need him. 
I don't need Christ. I don't need the very son of God who, was, who supposedly was sent here for me. So even while you're trying to do your best, even if you're gonna do everything perfectly right, which you're not, you're still saying that Christ was a liar. And I know it's weird to put it that harsh, but man, when I hear people say, dude, I'm trying to do his best, all the, the best things I can, I'm like, but you're relying on yourself and you're rejecting the, the most important thing God ever offered you. By relying on yourself, you're saying, I've got this. I don't need you, God. Does that sound, that sounds sinful to me. So even while, even if you were to try to do your absolute best and somehow be good enough to make God happy, it still wouldn't work because you're rejecting his very son. It's the next one. I would say this to those of you who would say, man, if God's made it this hard, then is he even, I mean, is, he, is this a God I want to have anything to do with? The next one says, God wants all people to be saved. God wants, desperately wants all people to be saved. That's exactly what 1 Timothy 2.4 says. God desires to all people come to salvation. God wants all people to be saved. God wants me. He wanted me before I became a Christian. He wanted you guys before you became Christians. And if you're not a Christian, he desperately wants you to be saved. Did I delete the Dr. Pepper thing? I didn't. Gosh, I should have deleted that. You can read it. Basically, if I'm holding a Dr. Pepper and it's icy cold, you know, sometimes you open a Dr. Pepper and it's so cold that it quite crystallizes. It's like magic, Right? I wish I could do that. I wish I could replicate that. I drink an icy Dr. Pepper every single day of my life. But if I've got an icy Dr. Pepper in my hand and I crack it and you know it crystallizes in there and it's like a Dr. Pepper slushy, would I would it make any sense for me to say that I want a Dr. Pepper? But I'm, I'll have one. I'm already holding one. It's the best Dr. Pepper in the world. It's icy. Would I would dude? I really want a Dr. Pepper. That's dumb. Just by the very phrase of that verse, it implies that it's not going to happen. If I don't have a Dr. Pepper, I can want one. If I have one, I can't want one. I already have one. So by God wanting all people to be saved, it implies that it's not going to happen. It's the most heartbreaking fact in all of creation that it's not going to happen. And God so desperately wants it. God so desperately wants to wipe away your sin, to provide for you something different than this crazy scale situation where there's no real hope, no real security, that he sent his son for you and it's not gonna happen. That's the next one, but all people will not be saved. Philippians 3, 18 through 19 says, for many of whom, this is Paul speaking of, of the lost. He says, for many, uh, for many people of whom I have to often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Seriously, man, maybe you're in the room tonight and you're like, dude, are you calling me an enemy of Christ? Think about it this way. Christ calls us to follow him with our lives. And if I refuse to do that and I choose a different path and I turn and walk in a different direction of him, I'm at odds with Christ. I know you're not like an enemy combatant or something, but we're at odds with Christ. Where he want, he's calling me to go this way and I'm choosing to go this way. I'm at odds with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Paul says, man, 
when I, when I talk about people that are still at odds with Christ, that breaks my heart. And it reflects the, the way that it breaks God's heart that there's some of us who just, for a variety of reasons, man, even if it's just confusion about what the gospel is, never come to a point where they can place their faith in him. That breaks the heart of God. Revelation 20 and 21 describes that place called hell in the most frightening of details. We're not gonna read it. Um, but man, if you're, if you're a believer in the room, if you're a Christian, I want you to hear the fact that 25% of the people in our room the other night answered questions from a moralistic perspective. I'm not saying that every one of them was, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I want you to know that there's people in your school that believe this and think they're Christians. That believe a moralistic viewpoint that, that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell and you just do the best you can in between. Students, that's called lostness. And that leads to a very real place called hell. And if you're a Christian in the room, I wanted you to hear 25% and I wanted you to think about Revelation 20 and 21 and not be okay with that. If you've got friends who are living good lives and trying to do good things and be good people, so you just assume they're okay, that's a terrible assumption. There's plenty of great people who do wonderful things who aren't believers and who have no eternal security. It's your job to have those conversations. So, recap. Our sin has polluted us before God. I think the, the you write that down? Our sin has polluted us before God. The passage that, I, I didn't delete all kind of stuff. Don't look at your paper anymore. Just listen to me. Don't look at your paper. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, we've all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are, are like filthy rags. So it says that this, we're like, it's all of it. The sin that we have in us separates us from God and it's like a pollutant. And it says it's like that, that even at, at that point, our, our best efforts aren't good enough. So filthy rags is also translated, ESV has it as... Um, a polluted garment. That's the way the ESV translated that. What the Bible translators are trying not to say is dirty diaper. Dirty diaper. Polluted garment. They didn't have diapers in Jesus' time, in New Testament times. I'd literally stapled this shut. I have a baby. He wears diapers. They didn't have diapers in Jesus' day. This is stupid. There we go. That's, called, that's what we call a wiggler at my house. You walk out of the baby room and you're like, nah. That's what we call a wiggler. Pee diapers don't wiggle. This is, this is, this is the same thing. Filthy rags not do it justice. <laughs> I've, gotten some, I've gotten some rags already working on my car. I can, I can, I'm okay with that. Wiggler. All right. Filthy rags takes on a new meaning when you're a parent. A worse meaning. <laughs> and this is literally what the, what the original writers were getting at, a polluted garment. You get it? They had cloth diapers. 
polluted garment. When we become separated from God, even our best efforts are like filthy rags before the holiness of God. That's why we got passages there telling us that no one can follow the rules well enough and that, that there is no scale, that all, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing we can do about it because apart from some other thing, there's nothing we can do to fix this. But here's, what, here's what the moralist perspective says. That, that you have a picture. This is you. And if you do enough good things, it's like pouring pure, clean, beautiful water into your pitcher. You're doing some good stuff. I got lots of good things. I help old ladies cross streets and jump. It's awesome. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe I need some more good things. I'm going to come to church sometimes. I'm going to go on far retreat, bro. I'm going to bring a friend. It's going to be great. I got lots of good things going on. But then there's this whole filthy rag business. Or even our best efforts before God aren't pure and aren't clean. So our good stuff gets mixed up with all this terrible stuff, and all of a sudden, it's just not the same. That's not real. I'm just kidding. That's baby Ruth. But if it was real... But if it were, there's some grass and stuff on that. You just get a little bit of that, some of that. If that were real, would you drink that? Absolutely not. Listen to me. Shh, listen, listen. If I add a little bit more pure water to that, would you drink it then? No. If I fill, if I poured all of this good stuff into this bad stuff. Is it good enough? No. So from the moralistic perspective, we think we've got this scale, but really what we've got is a pitcher and it's got some really terrible stuff in it and we're trying to, we're trying to add more and more good things to make it just kind of taste a little bit better. And God says, hey, it's never gonna be good enough. No matter how much good stuff you try to put on top of the terrible, it's not gonna work. I'm not having it. If you were in the 25% of the room last week that said, man, yeah, I think that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. How good? How much, how much of this is going is to make this okay? It's not going to happen. Students, what we need is not more good things on top of our bad. What we need is for somebody. We need God to come and take this picture. Just take it away and say, here, this is you. This is, this is my righteousness that my son provided. This is the righteousness that, that Christ made available to you when he lived a perfect life. Here, this is gonna be yours now and just pretend that's not there. I'm just gonna provide this for you because that's disgusting and I just, this is you now. This is the gift that I'm offering you. We need a God to show up and do that. We don't need more good things. We don't need to try harder. We don't need more rules to follow. We need a God to show up and do it for us, students, because no matter how hard you try, you're never gonna do it good enough. So he sits, the, he sits it there and he says, there it is. It's yours if you'll take it. Flip over. Verse 
So first, God gives us righteousness. God walks up and he hands us righteousness, replacing unrighteousness. And he sits it in front of us and he says, here, I'm offering you my righteousness. Romans 3, 21 and 22 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Did it say the righteousness of God that comes through being awesome and following a bunch of rules and and being perfect? No, it said the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Students, do you believe? Has there been a moment when you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, then students, I'm feeling good about you being a, a Christian. If there's never been a moment when you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've said, hey, God, I need, God, I need your righteousness. Mine's terrible. I, I, I'm just, I need you now. I'm gonna follow you with everything I've got. Students, if there's never been that moment when you've placed your faith in Jesus, there's an extremely good chance that you're not a Christian. I'm not gonna tell you you're not a Christian. I don't see how you could be. You're not, man, you're just not. If you've never had a moment when you placed your faith in Jesus by the authority of God's word, you're just not a Christian. If you're following your righteousness and you're trying to pour more good things into your life, you're not a believer. If you're in that 25%, man, and you, re- and you really believed what you wrote down that night, you're probably not a Christian. You need to have a conversation with somebody tonight before you leave this place to get some questions answered and get some stuff figured out. And maybe there's just been some, some stuff that's been kind of swept up in your mindset and you got a little bit confused by a survey or something. I'm not trying to terrify you. Dude, I just want you to know that if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, there's no salvation apart from him. God gives us righteousness. The next, it's a gift. It's a gift. Romans 3, 24 says that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. We are justified. Listen, you are made right before God as a gift. You didn't earn it. He didn't like you better. He didn't think you were cooler or something. He just offered you a gift and said, here, if you'll take it, it's yours. He offers you redemption. He offers you righteousness as a gift. Next, it's, it's why Christ came. To provide that gift, that's why Christ came. First Timothy 1.15 that says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did he come? Save sinners. He didn't come, to, and Paul says, of, who, of whom I'm the foremost. Basically, Paul's saying, I'm the worst of all sinners and Jesus came for people messed up like me. If you're in the room at night, you're thinking, man, there's no way that, that God would send his son to die for, for me because of all the terrible stuff I've done. My water's super dirty. Paul hunted Christians. That's why he says, I am the foremost. I'm the worst one. Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst one. I literally hunted Jesus' followers and he saved me. Christ didn't come to provide you a way to, uh, like, a, like a, uh, an example to follow of how to be a good person. Christ didn't come to be a great teacher and teach you how to live better. Christ came to save sinners. That's it. Was he a good example? Absolutely. Did he do great things? Absolutely. But the reason was to save sinners like me and like you, to offer that gift. 
The next one, he came for the messed up and polluted. Mark 2, 17 says this, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, and that should be in air quotes. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but sinners. Jesus isn't here for the people who think that they don't need him. Jesus came for those who who want him, and that gift is available for those who want him. Anybody, any one of you in this place can cry out to Jesus and say, man, I need a savior, and he'll save you. He's talking to the Pharisees, a group of people who thought they could do enough good things to be justified before God. And he's like, look, I'm not messing with that. I'm here for the brokenhearted. I'm here for the messed up and the dirty and the unclean. I'm here for them. He's here for you. The next, Christ's righteousness is worth more than anything. Philippians 3, 8 through 9 says, um, well, it's basically Paul saying that in comparison to the overwhelming worth of, of gaining Christ and being found in him, and, and now about halfway down, says, not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. He said in comparison to that, in comparison to having the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, everything else is worthless. He abandoned his entire life, basically. Nothing else mattered in comparison to getting a hold of this righteousness that comes through Christ. The next one, you can't earn it. Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You know what mercy means? Mercy is, is relenting. When someone deserves punishment and you withhold punishment, that's mercy. When you deserved it and you didn't get it. So it says that, that Jesus saved us, not because of how great we were, not stuff that we did in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And last year, it's Romans 3.28. You only get this righteousness through faith. You can only get a hold of this righteousness through faith. You're never gonna earn it. You're not gonna trick God into giving it to you. He's already offered it and you're only going to get it through faith. Romans 3.28, man, for, if, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Students, listen to me. Will being a good person save you? No, absolutely not. By the authority of God's word, no. Being a good person apart from Christ will not save you. Do good works cancel out sin? No. There's no scale, it's a toggle switch, man. And depending upon your relationship with Christ is where that toggle switch is set. If you're depending on your own righteousness, it's set on not righteous. And if you've, if you've thrown yourself at the feet of the cross and said, Jesus, I need you to save me, I'm gonna follow you the rest of my life, then that switch flips because you've taken hold of this righteousness. And he's let go of all of that and it's made like that never happened. It's being good, good enough. Never. It's never going to be. Is good behavior the point of Christianity? Is Christianity just here to help you figure out how to be good enough so the scale tips the right way? No, the point of Christianity is that Jesus Christ came here to die on a cross to give you righteousness that you could never attain on your own. He came to offer you this gift. That's why. Christianity is not a bunch of rules and behavior modification. It's, about, it's the story of God sending his son to rescue you and me.
Have you been trusting in your own righteousness or in Christ's? Have you been trusting in your goodness and how great you're doing and, and how you do more good stuff than bad stuff? Are you trusting in that for eternity? Because if you have been before you walked in this place tonight, I'm going to tell you it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. You're giving yourself false hope. False hope in yourself, in your abilities, in your discipline or whatever. And dude, I don't know about you, but every time I try to rely on myself, I'm going to slip. If you're putting your faith in yourself, it's going to fail. Or have you placed your faith and hope and trust in Jesus? Have you accepted the gift that he offered you? He offered you a gift of forgiveness and redemption where all of this nasty just gets to be wiped away. Where instead of being at odds with God, you just chase after him and trust him with your life when there's this incredible grace and peace that comes by making him master and savior of your life. Have you ever done that? Has there been a moment when you've done that? I hope so. But if not, you can make that choice right now. You can make that choice sitting right here in this room with everybody sitting around you. You can make a choice to give Jesus your life. You can make a choice to accept the gift that he provided for you 2,000 years ago on a cross. Here's what I want to do. I want you to stand with me. Go and stand up. I don't want you to talk. And I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a second. Nobody talking, nobody looking around. Pens are down, paper's down, everything's down. And I just want you, I don't want you touching anybody. I just want you to have a space for a moment. I want your eyes closed and your head bowed. We're not praying about anything. I just want you to have some time just by yourself to think. And here's what I want you to think about. Has there ever been a moment when you asked Christ to come into your life and save you? If the answer that is welled up in your heart was absolutely yes, then man, I'm excited for you. Here's what I want you to do. If, if you just, if yes, I've accepted Christ and yes, I've taken this righteousness and yeah, I'm a believer, I'm following Jesus. I want you to start praying for the friends in your classes and maybe even in this room who haven't had that moment. Who may be trusting in their own stuff or trusting in some other belief system. I want you to start praying for the people who don't have the faith you have. Now, if you're in the room and the question that I just asked Have you had a moment when you accepted Christ as your Savior? And your answer is, dude, I don't know. Or some of you just know that the answer to that is absolutely not. I've never had that. I've been working my tail off to be as best I can to do as many good things as I can. And here you are telling me it's not good enough. But students, Christ is enough. So tonight, I would 
uh, couldn't sleep tonight if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond, dude. So if you're in the room, man, and, and, and there had never been that moment for you, um, here, here's what I want you to do. First, I, I just want you to look at me. If there's never been that moment for you anywhere across the room, nobody else is looking around, but if you've never had that moment, I just want you to lock eyes with me just for a second. If you give me a little bit more light, because I can't see past row two. There we go. No one's looking around, just me. If you've never had that moment, I want you to lock eyes with me just for a second. Amen. Cool. All right, I think I got you all. So here's, here's what's up. Um, just, just me and you talking. Everybody else is praying for people and just praying. If you, if you locked eyes at me and if I, thought, if I saw you or if I, even if I didn't see you, man, here, here's what I want to say to you. There's no greater decision than that to follow Jesus with your life. To let go of the pressure and the, and the fear of, of having to be good enough somehow to, to make God happy and, and just allowing him to give you his righteousness. Jesus died on the cross literally in your place to take care of all of your sin and all of your shame, everything. He, he already paid for it all. It's already been taken care of and he's just offering you a new life to chase after him with everything you've got and to let go of all of that in the past. That's the offer. To place your faith in him, to say, man, I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross to pay for my sin and that he rose from the grave three days later to prove that he was more than just a guy. And God, I'm gonna follow, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you with everything I've got for the rest of my life. That's basically what it means to be a Christian. But there's more to it than that. And I know you, you probably assume that. There's probably questions you have or things that you haven't had answered. So here's, here's what I wanna do. As our, our band, band, you guys come on up. Still nobody's looking around. So as our band begins to play in just a minute, man, if you locked eyes with me, and, and, and or if you didn't, and you're tracking with me, and, and you're trying to figure this thing out, I want you to, while we're playing, everybody's gonna keep their head bowed and their eyes closed. They're gonna worship with eyes closed. You know this song. It's the stand, I think. You know this song, Backwards and Forwards. So you're just gonna sit there, and you're gonna worship on your own. And dude, if, if you wanna have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus, if you wanna make that decision tonight, or even if you just have questions about it. I'm gonna be in the back, all these adults across the back of the room, or we're here to talk to you. And the reason I'm not making that super easy and I'm making you move is because following Jesus isn't easy and it's not done in private. And man, if you're not ready to make that decision and you're not ready to see some, let somebody see you walk across the room, then you're just not ready. So as the rest of us sing, man, if you're ready and you're committed and you want this righteousness that Jesus died to provide for you, then you come find us. We'll be waiting on you. And if you're not, then we'll continue hanging out. We'll continue spending time together. But the choice is yours. I hope you make the right one. I want to pray for us. Our band's going to lead us in one last song. If, if, you, need to con- if you need to talk to somebody, talk. If not, I, just, I want you to keep your eyes closed as best you can and just worship on your own the fact that what Christ has done for you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that that you didn't leave us trying to make some scale tip the right direction. You knew that we would never do enough good things. We'd never, ever make it. So you sent your son here to rescue us. And God, we can never thank you enough for that. 
for our brothers and sisters um, in the room and, and for our friends at school. And man, for those who haven't begun a relationship with you, God, we pray that you would draw their hearts. We pray that you would help them to find the hope that we have and the security that we have in you. We love you so much. Let me pray. Amen.